everybody. Welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithliday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Adam Holland. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm glad the uh, weather finally cooperated enough for us to get some uh, some baseball underway. Uh, yeah, the scorekeeper's been uh, keeping up some uh, uh, being funny. Uh, uh, the uh, in the series against Oregon State, the uh, the scorekeeper has indicated the weather has been uh, don't see any on uh, then followed by just peachy and rain and bunnies. I'm not really <laughs> sure what any of that means. Um, uh, but the games were all ultimately played. Um, uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, low scoring affairs, uh, uh, most of them at least uh, un- until the final game, which got you know real ugly. Um, I don't know, uh, just overall thoughts uh, about the series. Really? I, th- I, I think there's a lot to, uh, to be happy about. Um, I know it's not easy to say that after you have a 12 to two loss, uh, but you're looking at that and <clears throat> you tell yourself, well, this is a team that, you know, was, was on a hot streak. So, you know, we won 10 in a row and to go into the uh, series and still get a win, uh, the way they did defensively like that with the pitching uh, was a big step up, especially when it's against somebody like Oregon State. And then if you're, you know, you're talking about the game on Saturday, that was still a close game. So that was kind of like you're battling a top tier team like that tooth and nail. Now, the Sunday game, again, you know, that's sometimes going to happen. You'd rather it happen versus like a, you know, a juggernaut squad like Oregon State rather than, you know, against some kind of like middle of the pack where you're like, what the heck was that? Why would we lose like that to them? Um, but really, I, I, I think it was a, a very good series overall. Um, I really liked Oregon's pitching and it, 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 it tells you something when, you know, through a couple games, Oregon State's never even able to, you know, reach like five runs and especially the shutout. You know, to, to shut out a team with the ability of Oregon State, I think, is a, a huge statement for Oregon. So despite the, you know, the tough one on Sunday, I was very encouraged by what I saw from them. And uh, I don't think that the win streak was just kind of a fluke. I think this team really is finding its stride. Yeah, I had pretty much the opposite take, <laughs> to tell you the truth. I thought this was, um, I thought this sucked uh, pretty bad. Um um, I, I mean, I will say, well, I guess I'll put it this way. I thought it was a really sort of baffling series because you're, I mean, first of all, let's say, uh, it, you know, Jay Stofall's performance in the first game, shutting out Oregon state was super impressive. Um, that, that truly was an excellent top notch pitching performance. And it was a thriller of a game. Um, if the entire series was just that game, I would have, I would have gone home with a big smile on my face. Um, uh, uh, and hell, even if Oregon had lost that game, you know, even if it had, you know, it was a super tight game and Oregon state wound up winning it one to zero. Uh, I still would have been pretty happy. Um, you know, uh, you know, given the nature of that game, and I would have agreed with the way that you described, uh, you know, that game, um, uh, 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 you know, even if it had had a different, uh, outcome, um, you know, honestly, having watched this, uh, team, you know, for, for this season, you know, the way that I would describe it, uh, the, you know, the Oregon baseball team in, in the year 2023 would be that like, 
the bats are on fire. I mean, just it's an incredible, you know, a, a batting team. Um, yeah. Like, you know, that that performance in Arizona where they go down 10 to zero and then bat their way out of it, you know, like it's sort of an unforgettable um, performance, uh, you know, and in baseball, just the way that the game is structured where defense can never get you any points and can never put your offense in a position to score, you know, indi- you know, makes offense the, 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 the you know, the stat of primacy, uh, you know, if you have a, an amazing batting team, you were never out of a game and that game demonstrated it. And like, and so like, even though it was sort of like depressing in a, in a sense, how like low scoring this series was where like Oregon scores exactly six runs two in every game. Um, you know, I, I sort of like at, at all points, I was like, you know, at any point Oregon could break this open. Now it never happened. But the fact that like, the, you know, the fact that Oregon has that capacity meant that like I was watching every single pitch in in every one of these games and thinking like, you know, they can break any one of these, you know, games. Um, it never happened, you know, mm-hmm. but, but here's the other thing about the, the Oregon baseball team in the year of, of 2023 is that like with kind of the exception of Jay Stofall's performance in game one against Oregon state, which kind of like makes this kind of a, a crazy thing to say. Oregon's pitching sucks. Like it's terrible. Like, um, you know, Oregon has multiple pitchers with ERAs over five, which I mean, it's like Oregon does not have a good bullpen. What they have is an enormous bullpen and, and coach was is like willing to pull pitchers at the drop of a hat. You know, and which, you know, I do like seeing, you know, if there's one thing that I am like enthusiastic about, it's uh, it's like, you know, pull pull the guy. Although even then, like, I mean, like in the first inning of the third game, I thought that the pitcher should have been pulled because like, you know, dude, you know, you know, dude, you know, Lee Ullman, like walks the first batter and walks you know walks up winds up walking somebody else gives up a grand slam in the first inning like i mean it's just ridiculous like pull him pull him man like if you've lost control of your pitch you've lost control of your pitch you are not getting it back i don't understand why baseball managers have a hard time with this pitchers never regain their pitch once they've lost it um you have to pull the pitcher um I don't like, I don't get anyway, Oregon's pitching sucks. And, 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 and Jace, uh, you know, Stofall's performance accepted. Um, like, you know, it's just a matter of like, well, we'll just keep rotating through these, you know, these pitchers. And it's not like Oregon state is a great batting team, you know, either they're, they're like a, you know, two, five, nine average team, you know, uh, you know, cumulatively like they, they have multiple like clunker performances. Offensively. They lost their first game of the season to New Mexico, putting up like two runs. And, you know, you run through their, their season, you know, like Cal Poly, they lose a game, you know, putting up two runs. You know, they lose to Washington State twice, you know, three runs and one run. They lose to Nevada, putting up one run like they they. 
they uh they lose to cal putting up one run they you know yeah they lose to washington putting up two runs they lost to oregon getting shut out like like oregon state you know is not a great hitting team and so in the second game when they get a three-run home run you know i'm not real wild about that but you know kind of whatever but then in the third game to give up 12 runs like that's because Oregon's pitching is terrible you know and it's not like they're giving up 12 runs to a team that's as good of a batting performance as Oregon you know they're giving up 12 runs to a pretty mediocre batting team and it's you know so like so, you know, that's the context. You're just like, you just sort of have to understand that Oregon's pitching sucks and then you're going to have to like out bat every team that you play. Mm-hmm. And, and, but like, I sort of like, I know that going into it and that's the thing that's sort of like, okay, so the game one is like thrilling because it's this really tight, low scoring game. But like, I don't want to see uh, like, it's not that I don't want to see tight, low scoring games because it was fun, but like there's this pit in the bottom of my stomach going like, Oregon can't hang in tight, low scoring games because their pitching's not good enough. Like if something's wrong with their bats, Oregon's going to lose. And sure enough, Oregon lost, you know, they, they lost the series because the bats didn't show up in games one or games two or games three. And like, okay, so now they played midweek games against San Francisco and what happens? They crushed San Francisco. So like, okay, great. So what does that mean? Does that mean that like Oregon's really great at clobbering, you know, bad teams, but like when they face a team that's got a pitcher, the bats go ice cold, you know? So what am I supposed to think about this team, Adam? Like, like, is it, it, it like, is there batting an illusion? And if it's an illusion, did that just mean that this team is just sucks top to bottom? Like, no. that's why I'm like, that's why my takeaway from this se- series was like, oh my God, this really sucked and I hated it. You know, yeah. that, like, the, that, that was what my feeling was. And so that's what my question to you is, is, yeah. no, does this team just suck? Like, <laughs> no, I, I, I hear you on that. <clears throat> and I agree. Oregon is uh, is winning because of their of their offense. Uh, they're they're a batting team. But is there? But is the batting is an, is it an illusion? Um, I don't think so because it's been too consistent this season so far. Um, I and and you've you've seen them be able to go. If you see a team be able to go out and do it on a con, more consistent basis, then you uh, start to figure out. Yeah, that's really something like a you know an area in which this team can excel. If you just seen it on a few occasions where it was like, hey, they just showed up against a really good team, put up a bunch of runs, bats were on fire, you know, but then they, they kind of fell back into the pattern of not having a great offense, then sure, I could be like, yeah, it's just an illusion. You know, they just they, they show up for certain games. They don't show up for certain games. But the consistency with which they're putting up these runs in these games tells me that it's not an illusion. I, I do agree with your take that the pitching is, is terrible. And I think that's why I said I was a little bit encouraged by the two defensive battles because of the fact that like they were able to hang in there in those kind of games where it was a game where they they weren't firing all all cylinders, they weren't getting hits, they weren't you know putting up runs, but they were still able to hang in those games. Granted, like you said, the Sunday game was a joke. You know it was terrible. But the other two, I was encouraged to see that even when their bats aren't on fire, that they could hang with Oregon State through you know, what pitching they have, even if it's not great pitching, if that makes sense. I mean, 
like I think it's a well coached team. Like it's not like they like fell apart and started crying in the dugout or anything. Uh, you know, no. that, that's not what I'm questioning. I'm just questioning whether or not, you know, you said you didn't think that the batting was an illusion um, because you thought that they were, con- you know, b- because you thought it was consistent and that it was showing up in multiple games. And I'm sitting mm-hmm. here thinking like, did it, you know, cause like, okay, the batting showed up against Xavier, you know, was, is yeah. that a good team? Like, okay, the, the batting didn't really show up against Santa Barbara. They got swept by Santa Barbara. The batting didn't really show up against San Diego. There's only one game that they got more than six runs against San Diego, even though they swept that team. Um, okay, UCLA, you know, they, they yes, they, they lost that series, you know, uh, one to two, but they put up six runs in game one. They put up in a win and, and seven runs in a loss, seven to eight. Um, that was actually a thriller of a game. You know, that was a game where Oregon lost that second game, but I actually was, you know, fine with it. But then they got shut out in game three. Actually, that UCLA series was kind of similar mm-hmm. to this Oregon State series. Um you know, O to 16 in, in the Sunday game, like, ouch, you know? So like, okay, against number 13, UCLA, they get six runs and they get seven runs like, and then they lose to Niagara. Um, and then they go up to Pullman and, and they lose the first game, putting up one run. Um, but then they get 14 runs and 13 runs. Okay. Against Washington state, like is Washington state a good team? Uh, and then they put up a whole bunch of guns runs against Northwestern state. Like, okay. Is Northwestern State a good team? And they put a bunch of runs against Arizona, which is maybe the worst pitching team in the country. Like, and they put a bunch of runs against Portland. Like, okay. And they don't put up yeah. any runs against Oregon State, you know, at all, which, you know, my, 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 my gut, my heart is in my stomach. And they put up a bunch of runs against San Francisco. Is San Francisco a good team? You know, like, yeah, okay. In a, in a bunch of games against arguably a bunch of bad teams, you know, they put up a bunch of runs. Like, is that actually consistent pitching or batting performance? Or is it the case that in like maybe three games against good teams, they put up several runs and that that actually doesn't qualify as consistent batting performance. And that when they actually, you know, the chips are down and knowing that you have a bad, bullpen and you actually need to bat your way out of games that you know that they've only ever really done it like maybe once and that was against ucla in game one and really at no other point um and if that's the case then this team is just like boy they're gonna get killed by stanford in the next series um Mm -hmm. Like that's what I'm. That's what I'm worried about, man. Like, yeah, I don't no, know. Boy, I, this just sure hasn't been a fun podcast out of me so far. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that's I, what I, I'm really I, worried. I like. I, we we're not going to know this until they play Stanford. But like, what I'm really worried about is this team is like just a complete and other utter illusion. Like, yeah, they. I mean, it's 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 tough to tell altogether. I think the reason why I'm kind of like looking at the glass half full is just because, you know, in, instead of looking further back into their season, which, you know, when you and I were talking about them back then, it was more kind of like, okay, what, what, what's up with baseball? Are they really everything they're chalked up to be? Is this really even a team that can compete in the conference? Yada, yada, yada. And then <clears throat> I see that 11-game winning streak, okay? And so that's, you know, regardless of, of whether it's against all great competition or all mediocre competition, 11 games in baseball is, 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 is something to look at and be like, that's, you know, that's that, that's legit. And so it, it was kind of like during that winning streak 
that I, you know, that I said that they were showing the consistency of batting because during seven of those 11 games during the winning streak, they put up double digits in scoring. And then the, you know, the, the eighth time against Portland, it was nine runs. So that's, I mean, that was kind of, you know, the point I was trying to make. Granted, you know, you, you, you stepped in with the, okay, but the, are these really against great squads? Is it really, however, it is a season and not everybody you're going to face is going to be super top tier. You are going to face some stinkers. You are going to face some mediocre teams, but the fact that Oregon is, it was for that winning streak consistently putting up those kind of runs against opponents showed that like, yeah, they can be, they, you know, they can consistently get these kind of hits. It wasn't like you were just seeing it in like one or two games where they just suddenly erupted. It was like, Okay, yeah, you're consistently seeing them put up double digits and runs throughout an 11 game winning streak, regardless of the opponent. And so that's kind of the point I was trying to make. Now, to your point, is that going to carry over against against top tier competition? At least from what I've seen, it doesn't look like it so far. I would be very surprised if if their offense was able to produce much against Stanford. To be honest, I'm I'm, I'm not expecting a whole lot. <laughs> but I think, like I said, it's just. The, the reason for encouragement is because <clears throat> of the fact that like you are able to string together a win streak and you are able to show that you can bat your way out of games regardless of, of whether that's a top tier opponent or not. So I, I think that's why it's, 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 it's encouraging to see that they're figuring out how to at least win, how to be a winning team, but clearly they have not ascended into the you know upper echelon of teams. And I'm, I'm with you on that. A hundred percent. I mean, the thing that was like, I, I mean, the thing that was really cool, you know, about the team was that like for, for the first time, like in forever, you know, Oregon's baseball had a much higher RPI than Oregon state did. And yet, you know, you turned on that series and Oregon state just looked like the better baseball team. Oh okay. yeah. Like, um, you know, to the point where, you know, everybody's like, well, you know, they hung tough with the, with the real great beavers. And it's just like, beavers were not a real great baseball team. You know, Oregon was supposed to be the better team, you know, yeah. in the game. And it's sort of like, sort of, sort of made me confirm, you know, sort of like, you know, I'm not really sure that Oregon was a better team, you know, and then, you know, Stanford and, and frankly, Oregon's RPI is better than Stanford's, you know, mm-hmm. like, I don't know if that really means anything at this point. Like, Sometimes you got to throw that out the window. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. Like, you know, we'll we'll know more when the season goes on. Um, and the other thing is, you know, the series is in Eugene. O- Oregon's record in Eugene is much worse than it is on the road. Like, Probably because we don't have good baseball weather here. <laughs> yeah, that could be. Um, uh, uh, at any rate, uh, Stanford comes to visit Eugene uh, in PK Park uh, uh, April 14th, 15th, 16th. Uh, uh, first games on uh, uh, Friday at uh, five o'clock. Um, uh, we'll be covering it uh, uh, this weekend, um, and uh, uh, well, we'll we'll see what the uh, uh, baseball uh, scorekeeper says about the weather. Uh, all right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back. We'll uh, talk a little softball. Well, softball basically had an open week in their conference schedule, and uh, so they uh, looked around the country and tried to find somebody who also did, and uh, they came up with uh, uh, Montana uh, the Grizz, 
uh, <laughs> and, uh, Lindenwood, um, uh, and uh, they clobbered uh, all of them. Uh, three straight run rule performances, um, uh, almost three shutouts. Uh, that they, they just barely missed getting the shutout against Montana. Um, the uh, 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 <laughs> interestingly, <laughs> it did so so much damage to their RPI. They actually fell in the polls despite run ruling all three of those opponents. Um, I don't know. There's not a whole lot to say here. You know, they, they're just sort of clearly overmatched performances. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it is. Uh, I did like seeing you know uh, the the pitching performances because I've been you know a little bit worried about you know Oregon's bullpen. Um, Stevie Hansen uh, 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 started two of those three games. Um, uh, uh, the 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 one against Montana and the second one against Lindenwood and uh, you know she had a pretty uh, you know pretty excellent performance against both of those teams um, uh, and just otherwise like the bats were just on fire like you know just you know nobody could stop. Did did you learn anything from from these series you know at all? Not a whole lot. They were you know like I said they were they were really just kind of against uh, you know. Uh, opponents that they, they needed to bring in because they needed somebody to play and they destroyed them. And, you know, that's that. Uh, when, when I look at softball, uh, the biggest question I have moving into the home stretch of the season here uh, pertains to their conference play and, um, and, and, and kind of like where this team really is at. Uh, because it's very interesting to kind of look at, at, at their, you know, conference record and then their overall record and you're like, okay, wait a minute. How can you have, you know, like a 25-11 overall record, but then be under 500 in conference? But then you tell yourself, hey, but, you know, the Pac-12 is loaded with some of the better softball. Well, and it's because the first three series. Yeah, yeah. And so the first three teams. Yeah, they they had the... Yeah, yeah. going, Going, yeah, when they finished it up, they had the number one... You know, t- they, they had the number one RPI in the country, even though they had three conference loss, you know, uh, you know, lost conference yeah. series, uh, you know, simply because like, I mean, it was just ridiculous, the schedule that they played. Yeah, it was. No, it was crazy. And so in that sense, you're kind of like, all right, they have that conference record because they played, you know, these these juggernaut squads all in a row. all in, You know, and so. I think it'll be very interesting to see how they do in this last, you know, stretch run of the season against their conference opponents. Now that you're finally getting some conference play that's not against these teams pretty much competing for a national championship. So the question is, are we going to see Oregon finish the season on, on you know, a, a, a nice good run where it's like, yeah, we can hang with these Pac-12 teams as long as they're not, you know, like top 10. Or are we going to see a little more kind of like, oh, okay, they were really just kind of like mediocre within the conference. So that's, that's what kind of intrigues me. Um, you know, obviously over the course of the season, it, you know, it, it, it looked like uh, Stevie Hansen was invincible. And then it was like, okay, she's invincible after all. Um, but still, I liked what I, you know, I liked what I saw from them in the fact that, you know, like, even though they had these really tough matchups against these top 10 teams and stuff, 
Like they weren't getting swept in the series, and they they, yeah, they every one of the series they, they, they won losing uncompetitive games where they had to call it because the other team was just obliterating them. Yeah, exactly. They were staying in them and even like eking out a win in some of them. So not that, not some of them, all of them. Every one of the yeah. series was you know it was a one-two loss, and uh-huh. you know they, they never got run ruled. And every one of them, you know, it was like you know they were competitive games. Like yeah. you know the the biggest. Oh you know, margin of loss in any of them was, you know, they lost by five at Washington. And even that one, it was just, it was the, it was the bottom of the seventh when they gave, you know, like the, the game kind of got broken up, uh, open. It, even that one's, it's sort of a misleading score. That was a very tight game until very, oh, very yeah. late. Like, yeah. you know, all of these games were super, super competitive games. Like, you know, they, they did not get like out competed in, in any of these games in any, you know, way shape or form um yeah no i don't you know i don't really worry about that at all like i think oregon is right there with i i mean i don't think that oregon is a top 10 team i think they're a notch below the top 10 teams but i think they're right there with them you know like i think oregon's probably like a top 15 team you know they're just like they're right, you know, they're, they're just like right there. They're, you know, close enough to be competitive with them, like to grab a game in a three game series with them, you know, to make them sweat, but like, they're still going to lose the series because they don't have, I don't think that they have top to bottom elite uh, bullpen. Like, I don't think they have one, two, three elite aces. And I don't think they have, I think they have very, very good batting, but I don't think they have just like amazing get you out of anything batting um, the way yeah. that like Washington does, which is just like, oh my God, Washington's batting is just incredible. Um which like is fine. Oregon's a pretty well-rounded team. Like they have good pitching, they have good batting, they field well, they base run well. They're actually they're, it's a really smart team. Like it's a you know, it's a really heady team. It's a it's a very well-rounded team. It's just that like you know the, every team that they all, all the elite teams that they play like there's it's like the, they're they're also you know. The, that but they're elite in something and it's like well yeah. that's that's why they're a top 10 team you know um yeah. it's one of the reasons oh. why i'm sort of like I, i'm i'm still sort of like cool with melissa lombardi like i know that's, a lot of people that's what i was just gonna get to because i remember a lot of people are sort of like you know yeah. or sort of like fire she's had like fire you know i'm just like yeah. nah. at least for the like for what rob mullins is willing to invest in the softball program which like you know if you want to argue about something you can argue about that but you're probably got not you know like unless unless an Oregon fan you know scratches a lotto ticket or invents uh, uh, some way of turning grass seed into rocket fuel and becomes a billionaire um, and wants to put a billion dollars into the Oregon softball program, like for the amount of money that Oregon is willing to invest into the softball program, like. I think that this sort of like incremental, you know, year over year improvement where like, what did we talk about all of last year was that they needed to get a second, you know, decent pitcher, you know, into the bullpen. Well, they did. Okay. So like, (laughs) 
you know, well, you know, what are we going to be talking about next year? They need to get a third one, you know, and and they need to like up the, you know, the batting average by about, you know, half a point. Well, that's probably what they're going to do. You know, like, is that like, yeah, okay, you know, incremental improvement. Like, it's yeah, I, I, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm not f- frustrated with the rate at which they've been improving. I, I didn't think it was going to be a quick fix. I, I liked the hiring of Lombardi when it happened, but I also noted that she was literally stepping into a completely gutted program. Well, yeah. As in like, as yeah. In like Halloween pumpkin carved out. And so I was like, yeah, this is not going to be something where you're just walking on in there and then flip the switch and Oregon softball is back to what it was right before she came. No, I, I wasn't expecting that at all. Um, that's why I think like this, this stretch run of the season will be telling as to kind of like the, the improvements that she's been able to make. Uh, because like I said, you know, our, our performances against top tier competition were not bad and our performances against everybody else have been pretty good. Have been, so I, I, well, think have, I mean, have been slaughtered. That'll be, you know, that'll be like, telling yeah. as to whether, you know, during the summer doldrums again, if we're going to be sitting there talking about, should she be on the hot seat or not? I, I think if they have a strong finish to the season, finish with a nice winning record in the Pac-12 and, and considering all the competition they had to go through, no, I, I, I don't think she should be on the hot seat. I, I think that would be enough to be like, okay, she built this from the ground up and we're back to a competitive team in the conference. Well, Not necessarily a dominant team in the conference, but a competitive team in the conference, which in the Pac-12 is saying something. You know, and, and given that they've gotten the top 10 teams out of the way, like, you know, it, it remains to be seen how the rest of the conference play goes. But, like, I don't see top 10 teams on the schedule. And yeah. they get the Pac-12, you know, for the first time, the softball uh, side gets a, a, a Pac-12 tournament. So, like, they'll probably get another bite of the apple at some of those, you know, you know, uh, Stanford and UCLA at Washington. You know, they'll probably play at least one of those teams again in the Pac-12 tournament. Just, you know, law probabilities, they'll probably see one of them again. So, like, hey, maybe they learn something, you know, and probably get it, you know, shot yeah. of revenge. So, like, we'll see how that goes. Um, they get Arizona State next. That's the series that's coming up, uh, going down to Tempe for that. Um, Arizona State is sort of like the inverse of Oregon. Like, they're, that's a team that has lost, you know, in run rule fashion um, to some conference yeah. teams. You know, they, they lost their series to Arizona, um, including getting run ruled 0-11. Um, um, to Arizona. Um, they lost their series to Cal. They bizarrely beat Washington. Um, although, <laughs> although uh, of course, they beat Washington in Tempe, which, like, of course, that happened, right? Like, uh, Washington just can't win in Tempe. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine why that, that should be. Um, it might have something to do with the 100 degree weather or something. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, they lost their series to Utah, you know, like they, you know, just, uh, um, just, you know, Arizona state softball does not look like a top 10 team. Um, so like, you know, I, 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 beyond that, I, you know, I don't know a whole lot about, uh, you know, Arizona state softball, you know, sorry, uh, folks, I've been doing football film study, (laughs) (laughs) a little, a little distracted, but, um, 
you know, this this does not look like a top 10 team. So, you know, I, I, I'm not out here making predictions, but I am sort of making if then statements. And my if then statement is that like, yeah, if Oregon softball wants to say that it's a top 15 team um, and that it's going to run through the rest of its, you know, conference schedule and demonstrate that like, yeah, no, like we're, you know, you know, we're right there. Uh, that like, you know, first step is obliterating, uh, you know, what looks like a fairly vulnerable Arizona state team in their home stadium, which is the project of this, uh, weekend starting, uh, April 14th, uh, uh, uh 6 PM, uh, uh, in Tempe, Arizona. Yeah. All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll talk some of the football, uh, transfers, the defensive backs who come in. All right, so I am uh, wrapping up my uh, uh, transfer series. Um, the last uh, uh, two guys uh, to come in, um, or at least for now, uh, the defensive backs, um, uh, Taishim Johnson, who came in from Ole Miss, and uh, Evan Williams, who came in from Fresno State. Um, I, uh, uh, I'll start with Taishim Johnson. Um uh, he was a, uh, a 2021, um, recruit as a four star. Um, he, he played for, um, the two years that, uh, head coach Lane Kiffin employed, um, DJ Durkin of all people and, uh, a guy named Chris Partridge, who was like the Michigan linebackers coach. And then like, at the end of 2022 went back to Michigan to be the linebackers coach. It's really weird. DJ Durkin became the Texas A&M um, defensive coordinator because apparently like Jimbo Fisher is trying to assemble like the, the coaching staff of like uh, all the coaches that everybody hates. Like he's got like Bobby Petrino and DJ Durkin on his staff. <laughs> no man. Like, so anyway, um, uh, here's the crazy thing about the, the Ole Miss defense that Taishim Johnson played in, um, for the two years that I watched him in. Cause he, he was like, um, uh, he was a true freshman in 2021, but he was, he basically played in every single game. He was like a pretty high in the rotation. Um, at, he was a backup, but he was like the, the second stringer. So he was like, he was in pretty frequently. Um, yeah. So like a ton of film, I had a ton of film on him. Um, to, and then he was the starter in 2022 and he was in, you know, on, on, you know, almost every snap. So I, I had a ton of film on him. Um, here's the crazy thing about the defense that Durkin and, and Partridge ran at Ole Miss. Um, it was a dime defense on every single snap. And when I say every single snap, I am not exaggerating. That is not hyperbole. Every single snap. It didn't matter what opponent they were playing. It didn't matter what personnel the offense was in. They could be in an empty set. They could be in 11 personnel, 12 personnel. They could be in 14 personnel. They could be in the I formation with, you know, you know, 10 uh, offensive linemen. Uh, Ole Miss would be in, ha have their, you know, three defensive linemen, two linebackers and six defensive backs alike. Yep. It was, you know, down distance didn't matter. Field position didn't matter. Goal line, you know, <laughs> you know, third and in inches on the goal line. Guess what defensive, you know, yeah. package Ole Miss was in 
dying not, package. Not really willing to adjust according to circumstances. Yeah. Of the I mean, <laughs> it didn't matter. They were in a dime package every single down. And like, and like, I guess I understand. I definitely understand why Lane Kiffin was into it because here's the deal. Every defense or almost every decent defense in America has a dime package, like as, as a situational defensive package, because it's what you trot out on like third and long, you know, yeah. or like, you know, when your opponent's in desperation mode, cause they're down by like two scores with like four minutes left and you know, they got to throw the ball deep yeah. on every play. It's, it's a no, you have to pass. Yeah. You Not know. just pass, well, but yeah. pass deep, you know? Pass deep. Yeah. You're just, yeah. you're covering, covering the deep slots. You're g- giving right. up the short ball on purpose. Right. Not just, or, or the run. And, the, yeah. and here's the other thing about the SEC for, for any, um, you know, Pac-12 fans who are listening, who, who may have some illusions about the SEC is being like, oh, it's man ball, you know, like, uh, cause like that, that, that's the fiction that SEC fans for a long time like to tell everybody about themselves. Uh, not really true. Um, you know, the SEC in, in in the last five years or so has definitely most of those teams have like switched over to be running like very big 12 reminiscent, you know, type of, you know, very pass heavy, you know, uh, offenses. So like so it it's it, you know, frankly, I sort of got it, you know, like I understood why they're like, well, let's put out a pass, you know, uh, uh, you know, a, a stop the pass type of defense against a league that's going to a very pass heavy, you know, set of offenses. OK, I understand that. And the other thing is I definitely understood why Lane Kiffin would be into it, because like Lane Kiffin would believe that his offense was going to put it was going to score 50 points every game and therefore put every opponent into desperation mode. And the crazy thing about 2022 was that he was right about, you know, in the first seven games, he was scoring 41 points a game. Yeah. And like, and, 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 and that average, it's not like it's skewed by like two games in which he scores 80 points. I mean, like every single game, it's like right dead on at like 41. It's like, you know, 43, 39, you know, like he's hitting, like, it's basically like seven, you know, six touchdowns almost, almost exactly on the dime, you know, every single game. And so like, he's right, you know? And, And so therefore it was really, you know, it was kind of fun to watch that dying defense play against a bunch of pass happy offenses who were, you know, in desperation mode because they were feasting. And so Taishim Johnson got to do his thing, man. Um, <coughs> but then, but then, but then uh, they actually played some good, <laughs> decent competition. But- then they started it, two things happened sort of simultaneously and i i think it's a coincidence that they happened simultaneously one of them is something goes terribly wrong with old miss's offense and i don't really know what that was because i wasn't watching the offensive side of the ball cuz like i only had a week to do this project i'm not watching the offense to solve that question um but something goes wrong with their offense and they go from scoring 41 points a game in the first 7 weeks to scoring 23 points a game in the last six games. Um, 
So like, uh oh. So all of a sudden, the offenses aren't in desperation mode anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah. And um, and then the other thing that happens is they just start playing teams that uh, are really comfortable running the ball. Like they start playing the SEC teams that are actually like the old school kind of SEC the teams, like teams. Arkansas yeah. and LSU and. Yeah. Um, uh, like Auburn should have beat them. They didn't because their quarterbacks kept fumbling the ball, including Robbie Ashford, you know, blast from the past. But anyway, um, <laughs> like just crazy, just like dropping the ball in the backfield. It was nuts. Like Auburn totally should have beat Ole Miss because um, they were yeah. running the ball down their throat because, of course, the dime defense can't stop the run. And this is where it goes back to Taishim Johnson and and why, you know, read my article. It's interesting because I sort of feel like conflicted about writing it. And here here's sort of, you know, why, why I felt conflicted about it is that and because like I, I wind up leaving a bunch of tape on the cutting room floor. And the reason for that is I I want <sighs> Part of the film, like the good part that, that, that like the, the salad days at the beginning of the season, I felt like was unfair to include much of that because it's like, because that's non-representative. You have like the perfect defense to go up against these things. And so like, that's too good. And then in the bad part of the season where the, opposing offenses are just running straight at them and you have 510 Taishim Johnson being asked to play like a linebacker role. I mean, that's the thing that's gross about this defense and I hated watching it. If everybody listened to last week's podcast and I was like, spoiler alert, I hate Ole Miss's defense. This is what I'm talking about. This is what I was talking about last week. I hated watching all these opposing offenses just marching down the field and running the ball at poor Taishim Johnson. I was like, my heart was going out to this kid who is like, he knows his assignment. He knows exactly what he's supposed to do he diagnoses the play perfectly he you know gets himself into position he is you know making a beeline for the play and he is doing what in any other defense a linebacker is supposed to be doing a dude who is three inches taller and 30 pounds heavier or more ideally five inches taller and 50 pounds heavier and smashing that back and stopping him dead but because he's 5'10 and 195 pounds, the back drags him for seven yards. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry, Taishim. I've got to, you know, mark that one down as a frowny face on my tally sheet because you got dragged seven yards. But it's also kind of unfair to you. To, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you were put, put in a no win situation. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm like, so this stuff is unfair too. So it's like, okay, so it's unfair for me to put in the good stuff because, you know, your, your defense is unfairly, you know, good against this situation. And it's unfair for me to put in the bad stuff because it's unfairly bad in this situation, you know? So it was like a real struggle for me to figure out what film clips to put in to, you know, <laughs> this article. This is me on the podcast complaining about having to write my article. Um, I, I, ultimately, uh, you know. <laughs> I ultimately did write my article. It was, I guess what I'm saying is it was a struggle to find clips that I felt were both representative 
you know, that, that, that fairly represented, you know, a, a, an accurate, like, uh, slice of what I saw, you know, like that weren't cherry picked that weren't like, oh, I only saw this once, but it shows this kid off. It makes him look really good or really bad or whatever, you know, like, no, it's representative because I, I'm, I'm dedicated to doing that in, in, in every film clip that I ever select that shows up in any article that I write is going to be representative. But at the same time, time is like fair to him you know that isn't like you know this is you know he was put in a bad situation and this is you know making him look bad for reasons that are outside of his control or at least without an explanation you know for why that is um so like that was a real struggle um and i guess like this was my opportunity on this podcast to explain how i struggled with it and how i like worked through what clips i wound up selecting um but you know at the end of the day you know what i came away with with taishim johnson is i expect that he's going to wind up playing the nickel position for oregon i think he's going to be really good at it because he's a really twitchy athlete like he's really like his short area burst is really good like he reacts to plays really intelligently like i really think his football iq is very high he diagnoses plays very well and if you just don't put him in a position and that where you ask him to be a linebacker when he's not built like to be a linebacker then yeah. you know he's great so great you know yeah. and a i think a productive player when he's put in, put in a position uh that he can succeed rather than a position where there's just uh yeah no option for that. And, and the other thing that's useful to know, and this will be useful when I talk about Evan Williams here in a moment, is that his film is split about 45-55 between playing um, up high, like, you know, dropping back as part of, because Ole Miss primarily played a too high zone, um, where he'd be one of the two high safeties who were dropping back deep and when i say deep i mean fairly deep like about 30 yards deep um but then it sort of buzz him down a lot um or and then the 55 would be like he'd be playing sort of more like a nickel um and then it's just that you know old miss's dime defense is a two nickel defense which like that's where the dime gets its name right two nickels is a dime yeah um <laughs> basic, basic math yeah right um so uh because we don't have a six sent piece here in the United States. They do have that in other countries, but not here in the U S anyway. Um, uh, but why it means to American football. Yeah, precisely the, the correct. Form. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, yeah. So like much of his film is playing like a nickel, um, defender. It's just that he's often sort of asked to play something that in any other defensive system would be like an outside linebacker or an overhang backer. um, and like he's just not built as an OLB or as an overhang ILB um, or like a strong side backer. Um, and so when he is in that position and he goes to make that tackle, it's like he doesn't stop the guy dead or like to the extent that he is, it's as part of a gang tackle. And it looks like a swarm of ants jumping on a spider. Like if anybody's old enough to play the like sim ant, like that's what it looks like. Um <laughs> Uh, uh, like, like the, the, the number of like solo tackles that I have him making is where he just stops the dude dead. Um, it's not, it's not a ton of film on that. Um, but I don't think 
that's the role that Oregon's going to ask him to play. Um, however, he does have a lot of experience and good experience playing as like a high safety. So even though I think that Oregon's going to use him as a nickel, I think that he's versatile enough and certainly experienced enough to like flip it around and play high safety too. You know what? You know, I'm not sure how Oregon's going to want to configure that. Maybe, maybe, maybe on the strong side, or maybe maybe to the passing strength. You know, or maybe. Well, no, they'll probably have Addison to the field. Um, well, well, we'll see. I don't know if they're going to want to organize it on field boundary or, or, or weak side, strong side. Probably they'll keep him on the strong side. I think that probably makes the most sense. But anyway, um, I think they could flip him around. And, and so that takes me to Evan Williams. Evan Williams um, played for Fresno State um, for four years. Um, he, uh, he came in as a 2019 um, recruit. Um, he started as a backup, but by the back half of the 2019 season, he had taken over as a starter. You couldn't keep him off the field. He's really good. Um, uh, Fresno State only played six games in the 2020 season. He played the first four of them, but then they held him out the last two and they wouldn't tell anybody why. Um, I think you can probably guess. Um, and then, uh, 2021, he was a full-time starter. He played every single game. Fresno State went 10 and three, um, in that season. They just barely missed making the conference championship. They probably should have, but there was a weird game that happened in that season. Um, and then, um, and then in 2022, uh, Fresno State did win the conference championship, and then they did beat Washington State in the bowl game. Um, amusingly enough, because Fresno State um, opened uh, or Oregon opened their season with Fresno State in 2021, and then Fresno State winds up playing Pac-12 teams all the time, um, including two different wins and three different one-score losses over the last four years. Um, uh, they, yeah. they beat UCLA, um, in 2021, they beat Wazoo, uh, in the, in the bowl game. Uh, they had a one score loss against Oregon state. They had a one score loss against Oregon that in that opener, and they had a one score loss against USC in 2019. So, uh, yeah. the only time they've lost by more than one score was against USC in 2021. Um, yeah. in that game, they killed them. Um, this this is not new for Fresno State either. They've 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 often been a tough opponent. Yeah, no, it's a, twelve teams. Yeah, right. Um, or no, no, it was the twenty twenty two game. The USC killed him. Um, but that was the game that Evan Williams got hurt. Yeah. So that so here's the other thing about Evan Williams is that he that was their week three game. Um, uh, was against USC. He actually was playing really well. I've got a, I took a bunch of clips from that USC game because he like he's covering Jordan Addison really well. He has this beautiful breakup against one of their tight ends. Um, that I included in my article. Like he played really well against USC, but then he gets hurt. Uh, he injured something in his knee, like his ligament damage apparently. But we never get anything more than that. And he misses like five weeks. Well, one of them was a bye. Um, the, he misses four games and a bye week. Um, and then he comes back against San Diego state and he's got this big brace on his knee. Um, and I, he, he looks like a slightly slower. I have, I hate to admit, um, I, I, I didn't, I think maybe he could have used another week off, but the week after that, he looks back up to full speed and he plays the rest of the season and he looks great. And it goes on to like, they win the conference championship. Um, it's the first team in FBS history that starts their season one and four, and then goes on to 
uh, you know, finish whatever it is they, f- I, I think they finished like 11 and four. Um, I was just like, like they won every one of their remaining games, um, including the conference championship and, uh, 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 they beat Wazoo in the bowl game. Um, so, you know, that was cool. Um, and uh, so anyway, Evan Williams is great. Like, he's really great. Here's the thing about, uh, and, and and in many ways, he's great in exactly the ways that Taishim Johnson is. Um, and like all the things that I said that was great about Taishim Johnson are great about Evan Williams. Um, but here's the thing that's interesting about Evan Williams. He's a little bit bigger. He's like six yeah. foot or six one. Mm-hmm. Um like a little bit bigger and he's a little older right like he's he's you know like i said 2019 recruit not 2021 recruit yeah and uh 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 so it's interesting i don't want to say they're quite interchangeable but i the way that i expect them to be used is i think that taishim johnson's going to play the nickel position and i think that williams is going to play the you know the 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 high safety probably on the strong side position but I think they could be flipped and, and I actually would be surprised if Oregon's coaching staff doesn't like flip them on quite a few downs because you can definitely use Evan Williams in the box. Fresno did a lot. And for, for, for that whole long rant that I went on about how, like I was really pissed off at old miss for using Taishin Johnson in the box too much and like asking him to do stuff that his frame's not built for. Evan Williams has a few plays in the box and I put him in my article where it was like, damn, he stopped that running back dead. You know, he's kind of like Evan Williams wasn't in the box enough. Well, no, he was in the box an appropriate amount. Like he's still not a linebacker, but like, It's it's more because like I don't want to see him taking on like offensive linemen like that's still a losing proposition. No, it's not no. that big, but he's yeah, like exactly. a safety that's like he diagnoses the play, knifes in between the blockers, and hits that running back and stops him. Um, and like I've got a bunch of clips, man. Like you're gonna enjoy watching the videos in my article of him hitting dudes. Uh, yeah. Like him hitting dudes is pretty much the entirety of the 16 clips in my <laughs> article about Evan Williams, and they're all fun. Um, yeah. and actually, a couple of them are Oregon, <laughs> um, so maybe those two won't be fun, be <laughs> like, but they're all him hitting dudes. So, like, even though I suspect that you know Johnson's going to be the nickel and uh, Williams is going to be the strong safety. I also suspect that they're going to flip that around sometimes and have Williams play down lower and ask him to hit some dudes um, because it's fun to watch him hit dudes and he does it pretty well. And when they, when Ole Miss asked Johnson to hit dudes, it's, it was just sort of like, that's a five ten dude. Like, don't ask him to do, ask him to hit wide receivers, you know, exactly. Yeah. You know, ask him to, to take down gazelles because he's a cheetah, you know, not not SEC running backs. Yeah. So like, yeah, man, I, I guess what I'm saying is it was a treat to watch both of these guys film, knowing that they're transferring to Oregon because they're both super versatile and uh, Oregon needs versatility. And um, and for anybody who's thinking like, oh, we have these guys who are locked into their roles and we know exactly what they're going to do. My message to you is like, 
I actually think that there's so much versatility in these guys and that they're sort of also kind of like playing a bit against body type that like you could actually see them sort of playing different spots on the field at different points in the game, um, which I think is cool. Like, I think that gives the defensive staff some um, some tools to work with, um, which is really fun. Um so yeah, read my article. It'll be going up about the same time that this podcast goes up, um, and, and you should enjoy the the, the film clips in it. Um, the, there are certainly a lot of fireworks. Yeah, should be good stuff. Um, Oregon needs all the depth they can get at, at the DB for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you're not not going to be able to replace a Christian Gonzalez, but you can uh, at least bring in a, enough guys to try and you know. Yeah, well, get the job. <laughs> I mean, the cornerback position is a sort of a completely different ball of wax. You know, these guys aren't corners. I mean, but the other interesting thing is how this interacts with you know they brought in Justin Jacobs and Connor Soleil. Um, to, to be inside linebackers, those guys weren't playing inside linebackers at their previous schools, Iowa and Arizona state, you know, they were playing more, you know, strong side backers who play outside of the box. Um, so it's like everybody that they brought in, you know, all of these defensive guys, well, except for Connor Birch or excuse me, um, uh, uh, Jordan Birch, um, who's, you know, he's, he's an edge guy, uh, all their defensive transfers that they brought in. Well, they also brought in a cornerback, but I didn't get enough film to, 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 to do anything with, with, uh, with Jackson from Alabama because he's a backup cornerback and you never get enough film on them. Um, uh, so we'll just see how he works out on the spring game on the 29th. But, uh, 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 but like, you know, all their defensive transfers, you know, uh, Justin Jacobs, Connor Soleil, you know, uh, Taishim Johnson, Evan Williams, they're all potential candidates to play the star safety position. Yeah. Um, like you could at, at some point or another move those guys into playing that position, like, and the running theme for all four of those guys, even though I don't think all four of those guys are going to be playing the star safety position is that they could, and and I think that there's a reason for that, and that's that Dan Laning is prioritizing pass coverage. Yeah. And, and I think that's because he, as maybe, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence, he's a younger guy, and he's an analytically driven guy, and what he sort of realized is that in modern college football, you have to stop the pass. The pass is the thing that kills you, and that everybody that he's brought in are pass stoppers. Like that's their prime, you know, like, so like, you know, watch my article or, you know, watch the film clips, my article about Jacobs and Soleil and Williams and Johnson. And what you'll see is that the premium for these guys is coverage skills and, you know, and stopping, you know, and stopping guys in space you know, yeah. and, and the, and the sort of like old school neck roll guys, the thumpers, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the guys who can turn the five yards in a cloud of dust into three yards in a cloud of dust. That's not been the priority, you know, no, especially not in the pac 12, which is yeah. loaded with some of the best quarterbacks in the country. You're, you're going to need that, that, that coverage. All right. I think it's going to do it for us this week. We'll wrap it up there. You got any parting words and word wisdom for us, Adam? Um, it's spring, uh, and we got plenty of football going on, baseball and softball. Um, be happy, people. It's a, it's a fun time. The summer is not going to yield a whole lot to talk about, so soak it in.
<laughs> uh, well, uh, the uh, uh, baseball hosting Stanford. We'll see how the the weather goes. Uh, the uh, softball is heading down to Tempe. Should uh, be a lot of sunshine down there, but it never rains on this podcast. <laughs>